it. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most urgent topics in the never-dull world of Indiana basketball. This is our 129th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 521st episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, July 11th, 2019. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. Oh, This week's Banner Moment is actually three moments combined into one. First, Thomas Bryant agreed to a three-year, $25 million deal with the Washington Wizards. Then Yogi Ferrell had his second-year option picked up by the Sacramento Kings. Yogi will make $3.15 million next season. And finally, Noah Vonley received a one-year deal with Minnesota worth $2 million. Add those three contracts to the guaranteed rookie contract Romeo Langford will get, somewhere around $2.9 million per year, plus the money coming from the existing contracts of Victor Oladipo, Cody Zeller, OG Ananobi, and Eric Gordon, and former Indiana players will make roughly $67 million next season. $67 million for one season of basketball between eight players. That's a lot of money. And something tells me that some form of the story I just told you is being weaved into every recruiting pitch that Archie Miller and his staff give to potential Hoosiers and their families, plus some of the motivational speeches they give to players on the current roster. Because while you and I can sit here with our probabilities and percentages and say that only the best of the best of the best will ever sniff the NBA and that kind of money, here's the reality. Any high school basketball player good enough to be recruited by Indiana is good enough to have reasonably plausible dreams of becoming an NBA player. As you know, OG was ranked 294th in his class. All-NBA guard Damian Lillard was 214th. TJ McConnell was 348th. John Morant, who went number two in the most recent draft, wasn't even ranked. But those guys had NBA dreams, and they worked hard to achieve them. Now they're millionaires. Just like Devontae Green, Justin Smith, Al Durham, and every other player on IU's roster has NBA dreams and is working hard to achieve them. You know who else has NBA dreams? Trey Galloway and Anthony Leal and Matt Cross and Christian Lander and Trey Kaufman and every other player Archie is recruiting. And while we can all agree that part of coming to Indiana needs to be a genuine desire to play for Indiana and to add to the rich history of Indiana basketball and to be a serious student, We're all fools and hypocrites if we expect high school prospects and their parents to not also be thinking about what's in the best interest of their basketball futures after Indiana. Well, if you're a recruit, what's the best way to paint you a picture of where being an Indiana basketball player can take you? By showing example after example of players who have come through Bloomington and are living their dreams, the same as your dreams, in the NBA and making $67 million while doing it. So congrats to all eight of Indiana's current NBA players. It wasn't too long ago that that list was painfully short. Hopefully, Juwan joins them to make it nine. I'm happy for each of those guys individually because they've earned their NBA careers and their life-changing money, and I'm happy Archie has them to use as a recruiting tool as well as a motivational carrot to the current roster because $67 million is a hell of a powerful message he can deliver. All right, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. To my left, he is the Megan Rapino of Girls Youth Sports Coaching in Cincinnati, the President Emeritus of the Robert Johnson Fan Club, and one of the world's most respected bracketologists. Bottoms looms over other bracketologists the way seven foot three Kristaps Porzingis looms over point guards. He is Andy Bottoms. Andy, what is your Bottoms line from the last week in Indiana basketball? 
Well, there's really, really not a lot. I think we may have reached peak off season where we've got recruiting talk. We've got people overanalyzing social media posts that, to see what that means. If anything, for Jerome Hunter's outlook, we got a Bob Knight story popping up. I mean, I think we're, uh, we're officially at peak off season at this stage of the game. And, uh, you know, for me, really a little bit surprised um, compared to where we were at the last show that we haven't heard anything about uh, who is going to fill the assistant coaching vacancy. Uh, so that's a little bit odd, but otherwise, uh, we're right in the depths of the off season, trying to uh, trying to find some things to talk about that are uh, that are different and and new. And uh, so, from that perspective, I guess in some ways, no news is good news. But yeah, for me, it's really the the assistant coaching spot not being uh, not being filled yet. Although I know with uh, some of the the live recruiting periods, it becomes a little bit difficult to actually figure out how and when to. Uh, to actually do that and, and get that started. So maybe that has something to do with it. And maybe once that winds down, uh, we get a little bit better idea of where that's going to shake out. But uh, otherwise, it's been uh, it's been a pretty quiet couple weeks. And to my right, no Ryan, no coach this week, but we do have a special guest with us. He is a renowned and respected IU super fan, the co-host of Mind Your Banners and the president emeritus of the T. John Job fan club. And he has given us some of my personal favorite sound drops of all time. I'll be that guy with my ass out, literally at center court at Cameron <laughs> Arena. I officially yeah, dubbed this up. the Rick Pitino segment because it comes and goes before you know it. <laughs> and then, of course, get a brother, get some coupons. He is Croner Hoosier. Croner, we have missed the tournament three years in a row. We don't have any commits in the class of 2020 yet. And we're missing an assistant coach. How are you enjoying the offseason so far? I'll tell you what, I've got a, I've got a little mini vacation coming up. So this is my favorite part of the offseason right now. Um, but no, seriously, it's. I, I take my own personal off season every year, um, just work demands, family demands, uh, and just the emotional exhaustion from another year of not making the tournament. Um, I kind of unplug a little bit. Uh, I, I've made reference, I think, with this or about this with you guys before. And there's always that point in the summer where the rhythm kind of changes and you get your fill of B-Town summer and you start to miss the students and you start to miss the energy that campus brings to our little town. Um, and then personally with my sports affiliations and fandoms, you reach that point where you start jonesing for some Indiana athletics again. Uh, I, I love me some Cubs. I'd really like to see them get their stuff together and, and actually make a move in this, this miserable NL central. Um, but I I've got the itch right now. So I, I've turned my notifications back on. I'm back on the blogs. Uh, I'm just kind of getting caught up with what you guys have been diligently plowing through uh, in the summer workout season, but you know, I'm not gonna lie, man. I got, I, I got the bug. I've got a, I've got a niche to find out what IU football is capable of in the last podcast, Zach. And I did, uh, I kept hammering on the parallels right now in the state of the programs, the trajectories for IU football and IU basketball. And there are certainly some massive question marks hanging over both programs as far as where things are going to tilt. And I think it's going to be a really pivotal year for both programs. Um, I, I, I'm ready to get started with it. I'm ready to see where this thing goes. All right, well, here's what we're going to talk about this week. A few Hoosier headlines, as we always do. Then we are each going to basically make our case for why Indiana will or can exceed expectations this season after falling so far below them last season. And finally, we'll answer some of the questions that you sent in. All of that coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. Before we get to all that, a word from this week's sponsor, SeatGeek. Do you ever feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult on purpose? It's as if they're so big, they feel like they can get away with not caring about the customer experience. But not SeatGeek. 
SeatGeek cares desperately about the satisfaction of their customers, which is why a quick glance at the App Store shows over 50,000 five-star reviews. Why? Because SeatGeek delivers a better process for buying tickets. SeatGeek pulls together millions of tickets from all over the web, and then they rate each deal on a scale of 1 to 10, and the user interface communicates it all clearly by displaying tickets on an interactive seat map so you can see right where they are and by using a color-coded system for value. Green dots mean good deals, red dots are overpriced, Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets with confidence. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It's by far the fastest and easiest way to find tickets. When my wife and I want concert tickets or sporting event tickets, it is always the first place that we look. Can a brother get some coupons? Of course. Best of all, SeatGeek will even give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is use our promo code. So download the SeatGeek app today and use the promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code ASSEMBLY. For $10 off your first purchase. All right, guys. Well, Andy, as you kind of alluded to in your opening statements, not a ton of Hoosier headlines. You know, this is obviously a big recruiting weekend. A lot of IU prospects playing in the Peach Jam, the Adidas Summer Championships, the the Under Armour Finals. So Indiana coaches are kind of spread out looking at those guys. Uh, you know, we're still on commitment watch. Uh, most people who are plugged into this seem to think that either Trey Galloway or Matt Cross might be the first to commit. Neither one is a guarantee, uh, although you know you continue to hear positive chatter about Galloway. Uh, we'll see you know about that. If we do get a commitment here anytime soon, it certainly would be nice. The assistant coaching position obviously still remains open, and then the big news this week that Bob Knight has purchased a home in Bloomington. So chronic of those you know kind of pertinent stories in the world of IU basketball this week, which one kind of jumps out the most to you that you want to comment on? I mean, I, I think the low-hanging fruit here is Bob Knight's return to Bloomington. Uh, it's it's now documented in property transfer records that he's you know he is once again a property owner in Monroe County. Um, it's it's been pretty well known in in local circles that Coach Knight's made many visits, like many many visits back to the area over the years. It's not like this is just suddenly something that's popped up. There's certainly perhaps a, a deeper hole to jump in when it comes to the reasons, the motivations behind it. Um, there's been a lot of talk about how it may relate to his personal health, uh, and what that means for his, you know, his, his future. Um, I guess, and we were, we were kind of talking about this a little bit before we jumped on. I've had a lot of conversations with people around town today. Um, I I'm still trying to wrap my head around how relevant it really is. Um, as far as how meaningful it is. And I think a lot of that's on, on multiple levels. Uh, not the least of which probably first and foremost on the personal level, uh, I'm still trying to comprehend how much I've, my feelings have shifted on the, on this subject just in the last decade. And, and I, I do feel that the, the news kind of has diminished value in as much as there's been so much water under the bridge here. Um, you know, I've always hoped there would be reconciliation. It certainly seems like things are progressing towards that with coach coming on campus for the baseball game. Uh, it's, I, I tweeted out earlier, he's like literally four, four and a half blocks away from me now. Um, it's, it's wild to think that Bob Knight's now one of my neighbors. Um, you can go watch a game with him. You know, I would love to, I'd actually more than anything. I'd love to go fishing with coach. Uh, I don't know that I want to be in a field if he's got a loaded firearm. Um, cause I know he was once an avid hunter, but I'm pretty sure he still gets a line wet. Uh, that would be awesome. Uh, but you know, I, I'm, I am curious to see what, what type of interactions he chooses to have both with the community now as a neighbor, like, am I going to see him at Kroguchi? Um, that would blow my mind and it'll absolutely be on every social media platform I have. 
Um, not sure how I'd caption that yet, though. Uh, but I'm curious to see. Do we see him back on campus? Do we see him back in Assembly Hall specifically? Obviously, he's been at the baseball stadium. The first opportunity would be either at a football game or one of the soccer matches. It would not be an IU basketball uh, event if he chose to, to engage with the campus early in the in the semester. But I'm anxious to see what that means, and I'm anxious to see how the dialogue kind of processes what that news matters. Now, all that said, I think the biggest news, honestly, for IU is not whether or not a coach from almost two decades ago is, is living back in Bloomington now. It's who's who's coaching this team right now. Like we are in a live recruiting period. Um, you know, we talked about there was years ago where I think Coach Green found himself in a similar situation. And while it was in a sense problematic um, for at a lot of levels, it also presents this unique opportunity where you can have people who aren't officially with the team um, who are kind of doing your bidding as well, at least putting feelers out with kids. You can have more boots on the ground. I don't know that's necessarily legal, but it's hard to track when you don't have a named coach, I guess. Um, so I, I do think that is that's certainly an issue for me at this point, especially with where they are on the recruiting trail. Um, you know, having having missed the tournament three years doesn't help them a whole lot now. So you've got to you've got to go back to selling that vision, that plan. You don't have the film, you don't have the the record to necessarily brag on. And it certainly helps if you've got another body out there that can sell that message. So I'd love to know what the message is, and I'd love to know who's delivering it for IU right now. It is worth noting, while the assistant coaching position still isn't filled, Bill Komar, whose official title is Assistant Athletic Director for Basketball Administration, is kind of out on the recruiting trail for Indiana right now. And he's been an assistant before. He's done some recruiting before. So I guess Indiana was somewhat well positioned for this to have someone on the staff who could step in that has some experience. So they're not just, you know, losing out on this time when they could have had an assistant out there. Um, so it's nice to, you know, have some have some depth on the coaching staff to be able to handle this. Uh, Andy, your thoughts on any of the Hoosier headlines? Yeah, I mean, kind of like I said in the opening, I think the assistant coaching thing is interesting. But as you said, the rules, as I understand it, allow you to take another guy who's currently on staff to be the the fourth person out on the recruiting trail during this time period. So uh, of the guys there, Komar seemed the most likely uh, since he's been with Miller for a bit and uh, and has some experience, as you said. So um, it, I, I am curious to see when that will come to a head. I do think it's uh, probably a question of not wanting to reach for somebody and no different than a scholarship. You don't want to give it just because you ha you have it and, and figure that out. So probably a little bit of a little bit of truth to that. But I think you know for me it's it's a bit of the recruiting stuff. Um, I, I think Chronic covered the the Bob Knight news well. It certainly is a lot closer to it than either of us. From a recruiting standpoint, it it, it feels like ideally you know one domino kind of starts. Uh, you know, knocks into a few others and, and things start to figure themselves out. It's just a matter of when that first one will fall. Um, seems to be, you know, positive news on the Trey Galloway front and all those kinds of things. And um, so, you know, you like some of the things you hear about him, but really it's just a, a waiting game at this point. And uh, I think the staff has made it relatively clear who their top priorities are. And uh, you kind of see which of those dominoes falls. And then, you know, maybe that causes some other guys to to commit. And some of the guys that they're looking at are pretty unlikely to commit this early. So, um you know, I think there's only a handful that, that may be uh, in a position or of the mindset to commit in or around any time around now. So we'll just uh, kind of wait and see. One last question on the night thing, Chronic. A lot of people have talked about this day on social media. Did you have any problem with how it was handled by the media in terms of basically publicizing where his house is? And obviously now people know, you know, <laughs> within four and a half blocks where you live. So some intrepid person is going to be knocking on every door trying to figure out your uh, your identity. Uh, you know, there's a lot of houses between uh, the Yagleys and the Knights, so good luck. Um, 
no, seriously though, I, I think part of this is, is complicated by his current status medically or health wise, at least, um, you know, obviously he's kind of in the twilights, uh, as far as his retirement goes at the end of the day though, too, everybody's information is public record. When, when you're, when you buy property, when those exchanges happen, um, I, I do think the paper, I, I feel like they were in the right, at least as far as public, they didn't give it, at least I haven't seen it, the exact address. Now I did search. There is a website, uh, the Monroe County GIS that lets you search by property owner's name and it pulls up the, the actual assessor's form that shows you the address and the pictures mm-hmm. and all the tax information, all that. It's really difficult to hide from that. I mean, unless, and if you wanted to, you certainly have the ability to create a shell corporation, an LLC, some, something that you can put that name in or that property's name under, whether it be a trust or otherwise. Yeah. Um, so the fact that it wasn't established that way perhaps tells you he's, he's willing to be, you know, a known resident here. Um, end of the day though, too, it's, it's, it's in the public domain one way or another. And I think they do have a duty to report it. Um, I, I know the neighborhood it's, it, it is recently built. It's basically a big loop with the cul-de-sac inside the loop. Um, you know, if somebody wants to go bother every resident there just to see where coach Knight lives to literally get told, get off my lawn. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know how else you expect that to go. Uh, I would, I would be really hesitant myself to go door knocking and eventually find the one where coach Knight lives. Cause I don't know what type of reception you'd be in for. Um, I, I would, I, I would hope that people give him his, his privacy and at least respect that and kind of allow him to engage on his own terms. But yeah. Uh, as far as whether the the propriety of, of, of that information being out there again, uh, it's amazing what you can find out. Uh, that I do it all the time, actually. I've got all sorts of neighbors I had no idea I lived by um, because that stuff's out there if you want to go look for it. Yeah. All righty. Coming up on the assembly call, we are going to look ahead to next season. It's easy to paint a picture for why IU may struggle next year. But what are the most compelling reasons to believe the Hoosiers can exceed what are sure to be low expectations? Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. We're going to discuss it. What's going on? It's Christian Wofford. What's the only thing better than an epic buzzer beater? Celebrating it with friends afterwards. Join my guys, Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on the Assembly Call after every IU game. Go Hoosiers. Thank you, Christian. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. You can find all of our content at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever want to participate in our unedited live broadcasts or watch those replays, then check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash assemblycall. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Chronic Hoosier. And guys, I think uh, looking in the chat right now, our buddy Joel just kind of summed this up. Uh, we were talking during the break about the Big Ten and you know how you know team like Illinois is kind of getting some love and where all the different teams are. And uh, Joel says, IU is a complete wild card. Could be a complete surprise or finish 10th in the Big Ten. And, you know, when you start to look around at some of the preseason projections, some of the, you know, the early computer rankings that are coming out, you see some pretty low opinions of Indiana. And I think it's pretty obvious why. You know, I think if you want to make the case against Indiana being an NCAA tournament team, you know, it's really pretty simple. Obviously, Indiana's missed it three years running. We lose two all Big Ten players off a team that went 8-12 and in conference play and lost 12 of 13 at one point. That right there makes it very hard for anyone to see how you could actually be better. Uh, in Bart Torvik's preseason rankings, we are 57th. 
uh, which is one spot below Rutgers, 12 spots below <clears throat> Georgia. Uh, Devontae Green, Deron Davis, Justin Smith, three of the most mercurial players in recent IU history. They have to become consistent contributors, you know, and, and leaders as upperclassmen. Jerome's health is up in the air. Uh, you know, who knows if we're ever going to shoot free throws well again. So, you know, Chronic, when you – and we're going to – don't worry. We're going to focus most of, of this segment on painting a rosy picture – but I understand why people have a pessimistic view of this Indiana team. Do you kind of look at it the same way? Like, you know, you think that's a kind of a fair way to look at it from the outside looking in? Absolutely. I mean, I think for a program that so desperately has and very openly has stated its desire to get back to an elite status and devoted the amount of resources the university has into achieving that, um, it, the hype that preceded last year's season and the eventual letdown uh, it's, I, I think it burned a lot of people. Um, I think it's, it's something that's going to continue to resonate around the program until they perform differently and change those opinions. But I, I don't think there's any bit of news, whether it be at the national media, I think it's something that they're probably very much battling on the recruiting trail right now. Uh, that perception, I think it's something that could, that could delay some of the, what would otherwise be commitments um, until they see a little bit more film and they see that, you know, they can actually play uh, more according to how the, the whole program is being pitched. I think all across the board, until they prove people otherwise, they're, they're going to have to own that egg they laid last season uh, and, and just go out there and win some ball games in order for that to turn. Uh, and I think that's, that's to be expected when you underperform as much as they did now without getting into the reasons. And there's certainly plenty of reasons why that justify it. Um, People aren't looking at that nuanced level when, when you're kind of taking an elevated view of the of the, the state of things. Um, and I think there's just as many reasons why you could see that surprise happen this season because people aren't necessarily paying attention to the nuanced level of, you know, what is the development of Demise Anderson? Exactly how does Joey Brunk fit into the into the equation? Uh, what does Indiana look like when you have a healthy Deron Davis the entire season? Will we ever see healthy Deron Davis the entire season? Exactly what is Rob Fennessy's ceiling? Exactly what is Devontae Green's ceiling? I mean, there are so many wild cards, a great term for it. There's so many wild cards in play. Uh, this thing really could break in any number of directions and it could go really far off the charts on from end to end. I just don't know which way to predict it until we actually see them and what this new construction of, of Indiana basketball looks like. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's crazy uncertain. And that, that's why all we can do now in the off season is just kind of look at, you know, look at what could happen and kind of look at, you know, probabilities and likelihoods and try to assess it from that standpoint. Andy, before we start painting the rosier picture, anything else that we haven't mentioned yet as, you know, kind of a reason why you're pessimistic about the upcoming season? I mean, that was pretty bleak already, but I would, <laughs> it's, it only goes up from here. I know. I guess I, the only things that I would add were uh, certainly defensively on the whole, uh, I, I use continue to show some improvement, but if you look at the conference only, even the defensive numbers, like we kind of beat the offensive stuff into the ground uh, as, as it should have been, uh, but even conference only defense, IU ranked ninth in defensive efficiency. So even the thing that kind of felt like you could hang your hat on a little bit wasn't I mean, anytime you lose 12 out of 13 games in that stretch, it, those numbers aren't going to look great, but that's the reality of the situation uh, that they were in. And and the other one is really a question of who do you trust uh, at this point uh, and what do you trust from an identity standpoint uh, of, of this team? Who's that going to be? Who on this roster really 
Uh, you know, Juwan at least was a guy last year. Yeah, we can nitpick the three-point shooting or some things like that. But you you had a pretty good idea what you're going to get from him on a night-in and night-out basis. And I'm not sure that you have really anybody, at least in a, a kind of front and center role, that you know that about. You know what you can expect from guys who have played roles before to a certain extent. But uh, it's definitely a, a, a trust factor. And for a team that lost that many games during that stretch, uh, I think that loss, you know, that trust is kind of fleeting from a fan perspective. And then even at the end, kind of reeled everybody back in, started to feel like things were going in the right direction. And then that trust was given away pretty quickly again with that Ohio State game of the Big Ten tournament. So, you know, th- that aspect, which is not an on-court thing necessarily, is is definitely one that, you know, kind of hangs over everything in my eyes. Okay, so that was the depressing part of the segment. Now let's focus on trying to paint the picture, you know, kind of stating the case for why Indiana could be an NCAA tournament team. You know, there are a few easy kind of well-chronicled ones that we've talked about on several past episodes. Let's just get those out of the way right now. Obviously, last year's team certainly looked like a tournament team, probably would have been if it were not for a rash of injuries. And that level of bad injury luck is unlikely to happen again. A decent team losing 12 out of 13 is pretty fluky because as poorly as Indiana played during that stretch, they also were burned by some, you know, some crazy makes at the end of games. And that extended combo of poor play and bad bounces also unlikely to happen again. So just, you know, almost from a law of averages standpoint, those two things should get better, God willing. You know, the three-point shooting efficiency should improve. I've talked about that on podcast on the brink in here. We don't need to get into that a lot. You take away two guys that were, you know, shooting 30% or less and distribute those to better shooters. You should shoot shoot better from the three-point line. And obviously, if Jerome Hunter is healthy, he's an impact player. But it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to speculate about that because we have absolutely no idea if that is going to happen. So, Chronic, I'll start with you. What are some other reasons that you think are reasonable that you, you know semi-believe in as reasons why this team could could beat expectations? Well, I, I think for starters, and you mentioned it earlier, but when you have historically low shooting averages and three-point shooting, free-throw shooting, it's really hard to go a whole lot lower than the bottom, although I wouldn't dare this team. But um, <laughs> the bar set pretty low for them as far as making improvements there. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing for me is you now have – a core group of players who are going into their third season with the coach. Uh, half of their over half of their eligibility has now been spent under this exact staff. I think you should expect, you would hope at least the leadership is a little bit more ingrained in the roster. Uh, having had so much repetition with what coach Miller is trying to do and whether it be practices, uh, you know, as, as the season progresses and they install the offense as they, you know, they learn to make adjustments. I, I just think the more familiarity, the more experience they have together, hopefully the smoother things are going to run for them. Um, and, and also helping acclimate the new guys faster because there's that many more resources available to them. Uh, it's kind of pull them in the direction that they're trying to get them going. Uh, I, I think beyond that, um, you know, I was probably the, the biggest star last year for me, as far as up and comer, uh, Rob Fennessy was incredibly impressive when he was healthy. Uh, I, I really want to know what this kid's ceiling is, at least as a sophomore, uh, and, and just really excited to see what his growth and development's like in year two. Now that he's got a better understanding of what Coach Miller's expectations are for that position, uh, the additional time they've had to work, um, I, you know, I, I think that's going to be everything for this team uh, because ultimately, with the the absence of Romeo, the absence of of um, Juwan or Juwan Morgan. 
having an effective point guard, getting the ball where it needs to be in various situations is going to be paramount because you no longer have that safety valve uh, in the offense that Juwan Morgan provided. You know, whenever things kind of fell apart, you could always dump it down low and just watch him make magic. Uh, more often than not, that was effective enough. Uh, they're not going to have that available now. So I, I think it's going to be paramount that they that they run what they're trying to do uh, and then they get the ball where it needs to go in various situations because until somebody emerges as, as you know, just a knockdown shooter or just, uh, you know, your A option from from scoring standpoint, it's going to have to be a team effort and that's going to start at the point guard position. So I'm, I'm excited to see exactly what season two of, uh, of Fantasy looks like. You mentioned Rob Finnessy. Listen to this stat, and this might make you cry or might make you excited, depending on your perspective. But he had four more assists six times in the first 12 games. Obviously, when he came out of the gates really well, Indiana was 10-2. and two. He had four more assists seven times in the final eight games, which was kind of after he had recovered some from the concussion. Indiana went 6-2 and two in those games. So overall, 16-4 and four in those games. In the middle 12 games... So from when he came back from the concussion and really just for a while didn't look right, he had four more assists one time in those games, and Indiana went one and eleven. And you know, and obviously he was a forty percent three point shooter before he got hurt. And to me, one of the underrated reasons why Indiana can be better next year is that guards win in college basketball, and we have right now a very unheralded group of guards. But I think it's possible that you know our relatively experienced guard rotation for modern-day college basketball could turn out to be underrated because all those guys, I think, had their moments last year but also suffered from circumstance or injury. You know, I think Rob, with the injuries we talked about, I think Al Durham's injury to his shooting hand was kind of an underrated thing. You know, Before he got injured in the Michigan State game, counting the threes he made in that game, he was shooting 39.3% from three. After that hand injury, which and I was told by a few people was affecting him, even though he kept playing, he shot 29.6%. Before the injury in Big Ten games, he was averaging 9.2 points. After that, he was averaging 6.6 and had four games of three points or less. So he was very inconsistent. With him being healthy, and you know another year of experience i think he becomes you know more of a consistent shooter more of a consistent scoring option you know health willing and then andy obviously devonte green you know i think is a guy who struggled with his role and struggled with injury early on in the season you know he came into the season i think expecting to be the starting you know a starting guard lost his job to rob finnessy got injured but over the last 7 games you know, when he really got a chance to kind of take the reins and shine, we saw an all Big Ten level player, 15 points per game, four assists, four rebounds, two steals, 50% from two, 51% from three. And he enters this season as a senior with his role solidified. You know, so does that help him carry over his strong play into his senior season? I don't know. These are all big question marks, but I do think, you know, the path to Indiana exceeding expectations, I think, goes through the guards really outplaying what people expect. And I think they've shown flashes. And I think there are also some things you can look back to last year and say, hey, you know, injuries, you know, inconsistent role. I can understand why those guys might have been a little bit inconsistent. Their roles are going to be much more clear this year. And I think that's going to set them up for much better seasons. And that'll be huge for Indiana if it happens. But I think that's a, that's an underrated reason, I think, why Indiana can be better than the expectations. I think the Devante piece is, is a big one because he succeeded last season or he had his best games when his role was clearly defined and that role wasn't to be the point guard. Um, I, I think everybody always kind of felt like that was a potentially square peg in a round hole situation and, and trying to figure out how to, to put him into that role. And 
so now that really isn't on the table uh, for, for this season, barring some kind of injury or something else. So it's a little bit clear, and I think he could play a little bit freer, uh, even though many people might say he played free enough as it was, um, w- without having to feel like he was the initiator of what was going on. And I think that ties in a little bit to fantasy, and that that's the probably would have been at the top of my list for, for things that I would point to that would allow them to do it for a couple of reasons. One, you know, if you look at the, the league and, and you and Alex talked about this with uh, Dylan Burkhart on a uh, podcast on the brink this week, yeah, this is a pretty point guard heavy league uh, with Winston and Xavier Simpson, um, Anthony Frazier. Cowan at, at Maryland um, so you've got a lot of those guys in there. So that position is important in any level, but it's particularly important uh, in the Big Ten. And he, and he showed at times that he was really able to, to step up to those kinds of challenges. And I think the other thing is when you looked at him coming in, everybody's vision of him immediately was, what's this gonna, guy going to be like in, in four years? He's a guy who, by the time he's a senior, is going to be you know, just a rock steady point guard that you're going to have and I think he was ahead of schedule by any measure last year to be able to step in and do what he did people can say now oh yeah I I saw this coming or whatever the case like he was ahead of schedule so if he continues to be ahead of schedule um and his sophomore season you know so maybe his freshman season looked like what people might have expected as a sophomore maybe his sophomore season looks like what you might expect of a junior in that position and I think if he continues to to kind of be ahead of schedule on his development curve that bodes really well, as you said, from the backcourt perspective. So, you know, one that I hadn't really thought of, and I've got a couple more I'll get to if we have time, but Chronic, one that I hadn't really thought of that was mentioned uh, in the chat was, you know, basically this, and, and you talked about this a little bit, I think, with, you know, guys being a little bit more comfortable in the system, but also just maybe a little bit of a different attitude on the court, possibly a little bit more emotion, you know, with guys like Joey Brunk who were there. Um, do you... How big of an impact do you think that that can make? You know, Trace Jackson Davis, who obviously is, a, you know, I don't know exactly what he's like on the court, but he's already showing, you know, to be a guy that's got a personality. You know, when you had guys like Romeo and Jawan that were so even keel, that's a real positive in some senses, but it also can have its drawbacks. Maybe a team that, you know, obviously Rob Finnessy is not a guy who's particularly emotional, but some of those other guys, if there's a little bit more of that on the court, a little more visible toughness, maybe. I wonder if that could have an impact as well. Maybe, maybe not. But what do you think? Uh, I think it absolutely can. And I think when you just look at just in the broader sense, the energy that various players bring. You know, think about a guy like Justin Smith. If Justin Smith can harness the athleticism, if if Justin Smith can get a little bit stronger in finishing, uh, if Justin can kind of figure out where he fits in the offense. I, you know, I, I've been screaming for years. Um, Justin Smith would be unguardable on the baseline, kind of like Troy Williams. Uh, kind of he is it. every time he focuses on it. It's so frustrating. <laughs> no, I mean, it just kind of like it clicked with Troy that if he can slash yeah. and he just commits to cutting hard and takes various angles and finds those holes in the defenses, once he gets a little bit of momentum going, you cannot stop that guy without fouling him. And chances are he's going to put you on a poster. Uh, you know, it, that level of, of explosiveness, that energy that it can bring to an offense is immeasurable. And in this, you know, obviously the same thing goes with the, with the caveat being, can he, you know, get medically cleared with Jerome Hunter? I mean, this is a jump out of the gym level athlete. Uh, this is a guy who's just, you know, uh, Juwan, I think it was at his final, his locker room interview as the season ended was talking about the way in which Jerome went at him on both ends of the floor. 
every single practice when they first got, you know, started doing open gym together and just what potential that could unlock for an offense, especially with, you know, with the needs it's going to have this year. Uh, I, I think absolutely that's going to be a huge component of whatever this team can become is having those guys. And, you know, we talk about leadership and it's the intangible elements of it. Keep in mind, and I studied leadership in high school. I went I mean, at Culver. Leadership is something that's demonstrated. Leadership is something you have to go out and do. We can talk all you want, but you have to lead by example. And, you know, even for some of the quieter guys, if they go out there and they do their job, uh, consistently and they do it at a high level so that team, you know, their teammates can have that, that trust, that confidence that that guy's going to be there when he's supposed to be, whether it be on offense and defense. And I just focus on me or when I get beat, I know he's going to be there to help. What that level of confidence and that trust does is just, it, it really is immeasurable as far as, you know, generating the team chemistry it's going to take for these guys to, to achieve their potential. Uh, and at the end of the day, you've got to have guys that can inject energy when a team needs to counter punch. And I think there's a ton of guys. I mean, uh, Devante, his explosiveness and the way that he can just completely turn things uh, in a, a totally different direction when he gets dialed in. Their ability to harness that energy and focus it, you know, in the right direction, I think could prove immeasurable for this team. I don't know how you guard a team that's got Devontae firing on, on all cylinders, that's got Justin Smith really dialed in, and nobody's even seen what Jerome's capable of other than those that have, you know, have been in Cook Hall for the most part, I think there's a huge number of X factors that, that could reveal themselves that made this team, you know, to talk about what can make them surprising, all of the above right there. Uh, I, 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 I don't know that anybody's been able to fully comprehend that because honestly, we've never fully seen that. So it's certainly yeah. in the cards, whether or not it, it can materialize remains to be seen. But I think there is a lot of reasons to believe you have a lot of those guys on this roster that can really take this team to a level that, that, you know, most of us can't really predict at this point. Yeah, and maybe there will just be better on-court chemistry. You know, we, we heard a lot from guys that there was good off-court chemistry last year, but it certainly looked like at times, and it is understandable given the injuries and some of those things, that they look like a team that didn't have a lot of on-court chemistry, and that alone could help. One, one last point that I wanted to get to, Andy, I want to get your thoughts on this. You know, we haven't talked a lot about the big guys, but you mentioned the defense. You know, we were ninth in conference play last year in two-point field goal defense, which tends to be the statistic that defenses can control the most. And it's really the one that you want to look at for how good is a defense. And I think some of that was, you know, Juwan being overmatched in the post because of his size or just giving up open layups to prevent fouls. I think that's going to be a lot less of a problem this year with Duran, Joey Brunk, Trace Jackson Davis, and Race Thompson, plus Justin Smith, all down low, both just in terms of the size and the bulk of those guys, the experience, and you know the ability to not have to play in fear of foul trouble because you've got depth down there. On the other side of the court, you know you look at the two point field goal percentage on offense, and I think this has been everybody's fear: is that okay? The three point shooting may get better, but our two point percentage is what carried us on offense last year because we were terrible from three point range, terrible from the free throw line. But we were sixty third in the country on twos at fifty three point one percent, thanks in large part to Romeo and Juwan's efficiency. And it's scary losing that production. But, you know, you look at it, if Duran can play more and, and get a higher volume of shots, he's a 60% shooter over the last two seasons. Joey Brunk, 61.2% from two-point percentage for his career. Wild cards, of course, are Trace Jackson Davis, who we just don't know because he's a freshman, and Justin Smith, who's 55% for his career, and with a little bit better shot selection, you know, he's a guy who can be 60% from two-point range. So... Andy, we almost surely will drop some in two-point percentage because Romeo and Juwan were that good. But if we can tick up into the top 150 and three-point percentage, 
you know, even if we drop a little bit in two point percentage, it is possible. Like you can see a scenario where we're actually better, more consistent overall offensively, even without the individual highs of Romeo and Juwan. Does that does that logic kind of make sense? Uh. I, I think so. <laughs> I hate it when Andy hesitates. I, after I squint really hard. I, you know, I, I think so. The, the challenge is a little bit of, to, to me, it, it comes down to some of the spacing and some of those kinds of components. I mean, Romeo had the ability just based on, you know, sheer talent to, to get around guys and, and Juwan had some quickness advantages over the guys that he was, he was playing against in the post. So, you know, citing Davis and Brunk, you know, it, it just becomes what is the offense going to look like? And we certainly want to see that evolve from what it was last year. Does that really just turn in? Uh, are you getting more true post-ups with those guys? Are you running fewer ball screen type things with, you know, than, than you did? Like, what are you trying to do to get those guys in positions to score? And how does that impact the overall like flow of your offense? And do you have the shooters to space people out enough to give those guys room to operate? And I think, Last year, you ran into a little bit of we would have these you know, lineup conversations of well, could you could you not play Juwan at the five and maybe you played Duran beside him, but then what do you do with Justin Smith because you really didn't want him to play the three because he couldn't shoot well enough from the outside to to really pull guys away from the basket. So I think you get back into some of those dilemmas if you can't find some combination of those guys who can uh, you know step out and, and make some shots a little bit now. I do think Trace gives you a little bit of a different look there from at least some of the things that the talk about him being able to uh, to do maybe a little bit differently. I think he's going to be another guy who shoots pretty well from two point percentage. So I think you can um, see that part of it as well. It just to me it boils down to you have some pieces that you could utilize who can shoot well from a two point perspective. I think the question is how do you structure your offense in a way to be able to allow them to capitalize on what they can do down there. And how do you get enough other guys on the floor to make shots to to give them the room that they need to do what they need to do inside? Or does some of that come in the form of offensive rebounding and you take a little bit different tack there and really try to attack the offensive glass more than than what they did a year ago? And you yeah, know, we could be a good offensive rebounding team. So do you change philosophically a little bit in that way? Like maybe you would. So it's a little bit hard because I think the offense is going to look so different, uh, hopefully in a good way. Um, than what than what everybody saw last year, which at times just turned into guys standing around trying to you know hope that Romeo or Juwan would make plays, um, and so I do think that's another potential option of you know not having you know the crutch or two of those guys to really rely on. I think it puts more emphasis on you know good execution, good ball movement, and those kinds of things as opposed to feeling like hey I've got these two guys that I can really lean on. So that's a luxury that feels bad to get rid of at one point but you could also tell yourself a story that you know maybe maybe less reliance on those guys is a good thing so i think it it, to me it it turns into what does the offense look like and how is it different than last year to take advantage of what could be those uh you know positives that you mentioned yeah all righty coming up in our third and final segment we're going to answer your questions starting with uh, chronic dishing on the most interesting rumor he's heard around bloomington this summer Uh, And then we'll get to however many other questions we can get to, as we always do. Stick with us here on The Assembly Call. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
This is Nick Zeisloft. I never miss an open three, and I never miss an episode of The Assembly Call. Thank you, Nick. Welcome back to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Chronic Hoosier. Remember, you need to be subscribed to our email newsletter. We send out a weekly IU News Roundup, even during the offseason, and after every game, we send out a detailed post-game analysis. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. All right, guys, time for the mailbag. These questions uh, submitted via Twitter or via our private IU basketball discussion community, which you can learn more about at assemblycall.com slash community. Chronic, the first question directed uh, to you. This is from our buddy JD. What is your best IU-related rumor that you heard this summer that you are willing to say on the air? Honestly, the best rumor I think I heard that I'm willing to say on the air was just all the nonsense, all the speculation and the innuendo that swirled around at the end of the season, and you know all the the, the post about who was leaving and and the sourcing behind it all. It was just. It was absurd on so many different levels and, and to see, you know, at this point in the year, I would like to believe at least the roster is not going to have any more subtractions from it, but to see everything generally disproven for the most part, um, I, that's, that's probably the top rumor was that, you know, we were losing everybody and their brother was just, they hated each other and they were out the door. So glad we dodged that bullet, but that was, that was some kind of mess there for a minute. And by the way, I meant to lead off the segment with this. When we got off the last segment, you kind of had one thing that you wanted to jump in with, and we had to close the segment. But you wanted to talk a little bit more about Al Durham in terms of you know reasons for optimism for this upcoming season. What is it about Al that has you pumped up? I just absolutely love everything about Al's work ethic. I mean, the kid just grinds and grinds and grinds. He drives so hard in everything he does. And when you when you look back at the disappointment that that you know the Jordan Elston or Jordan Elston, Jordan Halls, Derek Elston, Christian Watford, the early cream team that they, you know, the adversity that they were faced with and the way in which that forced them to really, really dedicate themselves, not just to the game, but to the team and how that, how that pulled them together. Um, I think that the circumstances set up for a similar response. Uh, and when you look across the roster, who would be the one guy that kind of coalesces everyone around that, that shared goal and, and gets things head in the right direction. I, I got to believe it's Al. Uh, I, I just, everything about the kid resonates just tough and you, you know, you're going to have to kill him before you can stop him. And I can only imagine what Al's doing this off season. I can only imagine the way in which Al's trying to pull his teammates uh, to make them better. And I can't wait to see what, what next season Al looks like because you know, he's not going to work any, any less. Uh, and I think this team's absolutely going to need him just to run people silly uh, they're going to need him to get buckets. They're going to need him to defend like his life depends on it. And I think Al's up for the challenge. All right. So to somewhat circle back to the uh, the blooming the the rumors around Bloomington, give us uh, give the football fans out there a name or something that you've heard that that can inspire some potential optimism as we uh, close in on the season. Football rumors. Um, football rumors is we've got I'd like a, them to only be positive. Per, you no, know, there is a heck of a quarterback competition going on in Bloomington right now. You've got a lot of guys who have a lot of different talents. Uh, is it a real competition? I because I've been so. listening think, to Crimson Cast, and I, I think we may not have the fullest competition just because of Penix's status with his recovery. Um, but I, I think you've got a lot of arms back there that bring a lot of different looks to that to the oh. quarterback position. Uh, I, I think with the offensive, then changing the offensive staff. Um, I, I, again, I think there's a lot of guys there that have the potential to really blow up this year. 
Uh, it's man, you know what? It's IU football. <laughs> it could be, it could be the season that turns the program's fortunes around forever, or it could be five and seven and we're all drinking in November asking why are we IU football fans? I, I, I don't know what else to say. They are who they are until proven otherwise, but I feel good. I feel really, really good. All right, good. Uh, last question. This is from David. We've got about a minute and a half left. He, he's basically saying if uh, if everything that we talked about in segment two doesn't happen, so if this year goes sideways, how or do we if, quote, or if all the first things we talked about right. in that segment are, are absolutely true? Yes, he wants to know how do we quote keep it together as IU fans? Uh, <laughs> Andy, do you want to you want to fathom what a season of post game shows will be like if <laughs> this is? <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't. Able, I'm not sure we'd be able to. Quite frankly, I don't think there's a good answer to this question. No, I mean, yeah, that's really uh, that's that's bleak. That puts an even bleaker spin on like how you'd try to turn that around. I mean, I, I think you'd like to try to figure out like what the positives are that that look forward to the the following season. I guess it depends what the issues really are. If it's a repeat of the issues that we've seen a year, you know, a year ago, I think that becomes a really tall order to try to you know, quote, keep things together. Um, the simple answer is booze, I guess, would be the, the that's way. What, that's what Megan said in the chat. So, yeah, exactly. So that's well, the constant uh, answer, whether we win or lose, it doesn't matter. Good or bad. <laughs> booze is always going to be there for us. Honestly, the easiest way to hold things together, if this goes south, is we go full Jonestown. Everybody has a mass account deleting together. And we just, <laughs> we nuke the entire IUBB world. Just wipe it off the digital web. Hmm. Okay, that's it. We're done. No more questions. <laughs> we will have to end on that question. That is going to do it for us on this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. And you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you again next Thursday night. Until then. Take it from me, Jordan Halls. Keep your elbow in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Let me be straight with you. This is a radio commercial for three small business insurance. With three, your entire business is covered. So while you can't see the following scene, just know that this contractor's business is protected by three. Hey, toss me that drill. Yeah, man. Heads up. expensive now this is an insurance moment but three's got it covered three is a product of berkshire hathaway direct insurance company three no nonsense just common sense one two three four those are numbers but you already knew that if you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car use kelly blue book my wallet on auto trader they're really good at numbers auto trader